Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up on a Monday? Sports Talk Mississippi streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Richard Cross is going to be joining us here uh, in about a half hour from right now. He's calling Vanderbilt basketball tonight. They had a shoot-around. He is on his way back to the hotel. He'll get connected with us from there. But for now, you're stuck with the Dream Team, which is really how it should be always. Don't tell Richard I said that. It is great to be with you. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. And guys, we've got a ton to talk about today. It was kind of a slow weekend in the state of Mississippi, though. Mississippi State was off. Ole Miss was playing probably the worst team in the FCS, uh, 0-8, now 0-9 New Mexico State. Southern Miss did get a big win over UAB, but otherwise pretty sleepy weekend in the state of Mississippi, but fireworks elsewhere in college football this past weekend. First off, hey, I'm here today. (laughs) It was so funny. So... In case you missed Friday's show, we went to Haydad, uh, and Haydad just wasn't there. Like Richard directed the conversation towards him, and there was nothing there. And the reason why that happened is the second I got into the studio, there was some technical issue that I had to work out in here. And usually the second I sit down after Rhino leaves from uh, Good Things with Rebecca Turner, I sit down and and check in with them and you know just make sure all the wires are crossed correctly well this case they weren't so i had to do some adjusting in the studio and then the show began so i didn't get to check in with hey dad then we had bruce and then we go to hey dad after bruce and hey dad is not there he's actually off um i was not in the office later told (laughs) i was later later told told i was not in the office on friday morning sitting there playing fifa and all of a sudden i get like three texts i'm like (laughs) who could this be where are you and I texted uh, our boss, our good friend Will East. I was like, "Did you not tell them that I was going to be off today?" Oh, I thought you'd tell them. It's like, oh, they all hate me. I didn't tell them anything. The answer was no. No, on that it was he- a no. But it's great to be back. <laughs> Day off, good fun. Yeah, it was great. And then a fun weekend of college football. Another weekend, Borky, for me that we always talk about. Ah, oh, there's just not a lot, you know. We had the two big games, obviously, but beyond that, ah, I don't know. There's always drama in college football. There's always good stuff. And I thought it was a good weekend. Oh, especially this past weekend. You had, I mean, the perfect appetizer for the game of the century, which lived up to its billing. Alabama LSU, it it was a surprising blowout early, and then Alabama made it interesting late. There were a lot of points. You had the president, all that stuff. It it was a a very hype-worthy game, and it lived right up to it. But the appetizer was just as entertaining. With Penn State getting beat the way they did, a really cool-looking atmosphere in Minnesota, and P.J. Fleck with his row the boat and his his tie on the sidelines and stuff, that was just as fun to me 
as Alabama LSU. P.J. Fleck is possibly the most enjoyable coach to, to, to watch in college football. It's high energy. You know, that, that, well, and that sometimes that comes across as very fake. But it for me, for whatever reason, it does not. He strikes me as a guy who really believes what he's telling you. So he's fun to watch. Rippy, I imagine uh, even though you were covering a game, you still had a chance to take in Alabama LSU. It was up on a lot of laptops up there, uh, my, mine included. <laughs> I got to watch a decent bit of the uh, Penn State, Minnesota as well. And then it was kind of one of those things where I had to head to the stadium a little after halftime. But that got close at the end. They had the uh, It was a pick in the end zone that ended it, right? Yes, it was. So yeah, that was uh that one was entertaining as well. Both of those games seemed to live up to their billing, and then honestly, a different type of good. But like I thought, Tennessee uh, Kentucky was actually pretty compelling there at the end. Yeah, and don't look now. Tennessee's five and five, and now all of their like advanced stats metrics are all in the top fifty, and they're probably going to beat Missouri next weekend, and they're probably. Uh, they're going to beat Vanderbilt to end the season, and somehow Jeremy Pruitt and Tennessee are going to end the season exactly where most people thought they would be in the natural line of progression, which is seven and five comfortably in a bowl game. And they should have been nine and three. Oh, at least. I mean, they, they, Georgia State and BYU; those those are games they should have won. They should be nine and three. Un- in, in which case, everybody, including the three of us, but maybe not, I don't know about Rippy. I know that I did. I won't speak for y'all. But that were like, oh God, Jeremy Pruitt, this guy's not any wrong. Well, there wrong. was a time, there was a time where early in the season, it shows you what a week to week industry this whole deal is. There was a time where we were debating who was worse, Arkansas or Tennessee. Yeah, early in the year, after about two or three weeks, that was a uh, that was a real debate. And like, it was, was I guess Arkansas. it was pretty justified at the time. But yeah, I, I, I would say the answer is probably Arkansas. So we'll get into all that. The uh, the game of the century lived up to the hype. You've already gotten the is the Saban dynasty over takes. But I will say this. And maybe people have said this before. I know I didn't like when they lost to Ole Miss in back-to-back years. Alabama wasn't going anywhere after those losses. And it especially helped that they won a national championship one year and then went back to the playoffs the next year after they lost those games. But Saturday, to me, felt a little different. Not that the Saban era is over and that Alabama's never winning a national championship again, but it felt to me like that was LSU arriving at the table. Alabama's not leaving the table, but LSU is now elevated to that table of a very small handful of programs that can win a national championship. It's been Alabama-Clemson for the last four years. You can throw Ohio State in there, but it's really just been those two. And I think this weekend, what LSU is doing under Ed Ordron is sustainable at a high national level. So Saban's not done, Alabama's not done, but Saturday felt different to me because of that. And here's the truth about that, that LSU has had a reserve spot at that table for years. They just decided to show up, finally. LSU should have been a team with the advantages they have as a program, with the support, with the money, with the talent base they can pull from. They should be there every year. Now they're there. So the question now becomes, can they stay there? And I, I agree with you, Michael. I think they can. I think I think you're, you're about to see that the, the, the West for the, the foreseeable future is a two-horse race, and these two teams are going to battle it out, which is good because it's been a one-horse race, and the only way to get it to a three- or four-horse race is to get the second horse in there. 
Well, it's like they left and came back, right? Because 10, 11, yeah. 12-ish, they were there. And then it kind of went away when the when basically Les decided to go eat grass elsewhere, and now they're kind of back. Yeah, but even you know the first couple of years for the Orgeron, he had to tinker and figure out what he wanted to do offensively. You know, he brought in Matt Canada. He missed out on Lane Kiffin, and, and I, I wonder, you know, in retrospect, sort of a butterfly effect kind of thing. Uh, if Kiffin takes that job, are they better or quicker? Because he would have been a better offensive coordinator than Matt Canada was. And now he's finally figured it out with what with this this dual team of Emzinger and Brady, and you know yeah now the sky's the limit for LSU, as it should be. Alan Starkville says Joe Burrow is gone next year. Quarterbacks like that don't grow on trees. Pump your brakes. I would like to have heard what you thought about Joe Burrow last year. Yeah, I mean this is the same guy last year. You, you did hear what I thought of Joe Burrow last year. <laughs> but that said, I mean, I don't think LSU is going to have any problems whatsoever recruiting high-profile quarterbacks going forward. As long as they can keep Joe Brady around. And Which the report- going to be – they're going to have to make him like a full offensive coordinator, million-dollar-a-year kind of salary because somebody else is going to pluck him if they don't. Yeah, and uh, the the reporting was out there that – they are willing and prepared to pay him NFL coordinator type money right now. And my question is, what do you need Ensminger for? If you're going to do that with Joe Brady, why don't you just well, I mean, hand the reins over the over to the guy? We don't know. We don't know what Ensminger's real role is in this, but it, it might be a real true partnership. You know, they might be really working well together. Well, it worked well I, on to be Saturday. honest with you. If I'm Mississippi State. And you want to talk about Joe Moorhead and his offense hasn't really taken off the way you want it to? Well, then you got an opportunity to get the hottest offensive coordinator who also is schooled in that offense. It would be very interesting to me if State decides, okay, we need to bring in an offensive coordinator this year. Would they make a play for Joe Brady and try to make him a million dollar plus a year coordinator? Just that's not anything that's being rumored. That's just me talking out loud. It'd be worth the phone call. Kick the tires for sure. Chad Morris did get fired. We all knew that was coming, but Chad Morris did. Uh, I think it was what just after ten o'clock after I went off the air uh, on Sunday. Uh, we get uh, that announcement. We all knew it was coming. One of his quarterbacks that transferred out of his program went to Western Kentucky and smoked his football team on Saturday. That was uh, the nail in the coffin there. Uh, speaking of coaches getting fired, Vanderbilt played like a team that already knows that their coach is going to be gone. And then Will Muschamp gets a little interesting with the home loss to Appalachian State on Saturday. Hey, Dad's been talking about that since the very beginning of the season. little unrest there in Columbia. We'll talk about how the Saints decided they just weren't going to play football yesterday. The Titans upset the Chiefs, even though they gave up 450 passing yards to Patrick Mahomes. A win is a win. Dak threw for 400 last night. And they couldn't secure a win. A whole bunch to get to with you this afternoon. But we'll start right here in Mississippi and talk Ole Miss and New Mexico State next. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. We teased New Mexico State Ole Miss, but we got a couple of texts and a tweet here I want to get to first on the LSU-Alabama conversation. Because even in the state of Mississippi, that game... uh, people cared more about this weekend than Ole Miss, New Mexico State. Is that fair, guys, to say that out loud? Yeah. I, I mean, it's so. yes. it's New Mexico State. They they were winless going in. 
You could tell why they were winless when you watched the game. In my case, I watched the replay after LSU-Alabama. So uh, we'll get to these, then we'll turn around and look at Ole Miss because some things did happen on Saturday that are noteworthy. But right now, we'll start with Miles' tweet to us. He says, LSU talking, air quotes, NFL money for Brady. Football Scoop reported $1.5 million a year on top of Ed Orgeron's $4 million a year salary, $2.5 million for Dave Aranda. He says, seems like LSU has way more coach money than anyone else. Is he wrong? And I'll just leave it to you guys. What do you think about the the idea that they have the highest paid defensive coordinator in football? They've got a $4 million head coach in Ed Orgeron, and they're about to pay two offensive coordinators if Brady takes the job. They aren't hurting for money. They never were either. Yeah, I mean, that's not a a big deal to them. They, They have the money. So I, I wouldn't look at that beyond that. Like it's this isn't a situation where they're going to be like, okay, we got to do this, but women's softball or men's golf has to suffer. Money's not an issue at LSU. Yeah, I mean it works. I don't see why you wouldn't do it. Here's a bit of a so it's not a hot take because I I don't think a lot of people would disagree with me. Are we giving too much credit to Ed Orgeron? And here's why I ask that question because. He obviously has learned a lot from his time at Ole Miss. And even though there are there's one media member in particular that wanted to say that it was Ole Miss's fault that Ed Orgeron was a failure there, uh, no, he has changed a lot about himself and what he does and how he goes about his business since then. So he deserves credit for that. But as Haydad mentioned before the break, LSU should have always been competitive with Alabama at this kind of a level. LSU is in a state that produces more NFL players per capita than any other state with the exception of Washington, D.C. They stand alone within their own state. They have the best in-game atmosphere in football. They have every advantage possible. They should have always been at this table. And now they're, they have two offensive coordinators and the highest-paid defensive coordinator in college football how great of a coaching job is this really? Because the spin Saturday was LSU's the little engine that could, right? I mean, you saw that from local media and national as well, that, oh, what a great story. This is such a surprise. Well, it is because of Orgeron's past, but it's not like they had to build this thing from the ground up. They've got every advantage imaginable. So are we overselling the coaching job, whereas... A program like this, all they needed was stability and and competence to work. They don't need some miracle worker. It's not a miracle. It's a a roster filled with four- and five-star players across the board. It's not the little engine that could. It's a national college football power. But he gave them that stability, and he changed. And that is something coaches are so, so... It's so hard for coaches to change for whatever reason. I say a lot on my podcast that... Most coaches would rather lose their way than win somebody else's way. They ju- they just aren't willing to change it for whatever reason. And the coach that Orgeron was at Ole Miss and the coach at Orgeron now are different people. He figured it out somewhere along the way. And so, yeah, he went out and he he, he got coordinators that could execute his vision. And he, he you know he 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 treats people differently now. He treats players differently now. He's not the same guy. And so, yeah, you have to give him some credit for that, especially when you think about what we were saying about him in August of last year, where we were basically convinced that he might not make it through the season. And he not only has he done that, but he's elevated 
that program back to where it belongs. Yeah, I mean, I agree. There's a reason why, they, like, everyone says they should always be at the same. Like, I don't understand, like, they should be at the same level as the greatest dynasty college football's ever seen. I don't know if I quite would go that far, but they should have beaten, been beating Alabama more often than they probably were. And there was a reason they weren't doing that, and now they are. And, like, what is the difference? It's probably Ed. Josh says Alabama LSU was the most talked about game in Vault Hemingway on Saturday, at least in Section S. <laughs> And uh, Amanda in Pike County says, eight years was a long time, though. We were the underdog, but the top cat now. Roof Max says, I don't think you are overselling the coaching job at LSU. If it's so easy there, why hasn't it happened before consistently? Well, it did when they had Nick Saban. And then Les Miles is kind of a quirky dude, but he won a national championship there. Went to another one. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, though, Saban won one title there. Wasn't there for very long, though. Yeah. It probably would have inevitably ended up like Alabama is now, wouldn't you think? Probably so, if he never makes that jump to the NFL. I agree, yeah. I guess we'll turn the page now. We'll we'll circle back to that at some point. Uh, One more. We get a text from 662 that says, 8-0, coach gets a little credit. 0-8, they get all the credit, meaning that... uh, they get fired. Yeah, that's a really good C. point. See Morris, comma Chad. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And Joe Brady was a really good hire. He's a young guy too, and entrusting your offense in that. Nick Saban after the game. I don't know if this is an indictment on Ensminger or just a really good point for Ed Orgeron. But Saban after the game, when asked about you know what was different about that LSU offense, he said everything. The scheme, yeah. everything they did offensively was different from the previous season. I mean, it is. Look at what they were last year than what they are this year. Simple as that. I mean, and that's part of the reason. That, that's why. That's not even part of the reason. It's why they were successful. Last year, that's this was not a good offensive team. Last year, Joe Burrow was not a good quarterback, especially at this point in the season. This year, they are the best offense in college football. This year, he is the best quarterback in college football. And thanks to a guy that's barely older than me. They're nine games in, and he's at, what, 78-point-something completion percentage? That's absurd. Yeah. I, I don't do even that really on care Madden who they with, play. That's ridiculous. Level. I couldn't do it on Madden with a rookie level, 78%. No <laughs> chance. And he's done it in Tuscaloosa, beat a really good Florida defense and a really good Auburn defense. It's not like he's played a bunch of nobodies like you've seen on, quite frankly, like you've seen on Alabama's schedule. There's a yeah. real possibility that at the end of the season, Alabama has not beaten a team that is ranked at the time. That's why their path to the playoff without pretty much mass chaos towards the top doesn't really exist anymore. And that may have done it for them. And because LSU's not didn't losing. did stop CBS from immediately putting up a graphic showing us Alabama's path to the playoff once <laughs> LSU had the game in hand. Well, he so had to make I- Gary Danielson feel good. Yeah, but I was about to ask that. So I asked uh, this on my podcast, and Colin didn't know. But so he was trending on Twitter as I was covering the game, and apparently uh, it had something to do with the Thad Moss like catch. He was basically telling the rules official what was going to happen, and then the opposite happened. What, what was going on there? There was that. He also yeah, he told the rules official that the rules official was wrong. He yeah. he straight and up said I disagree. Like right. he he told the rules official, the expert, that he disagreed with his factual statement of what the rule was and the rule right. is was not wrong right. right 
And then also he also had some – he got really excited about two of – great throw by two, and it was incomplete. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> what? I mean, he was just – I mean – like almost not safe for work, like just gushing over this incomplete pass. Yeah, and I mean, basically all of the stereotypes we've we've put on Gary Daniels in the past decade about his love for Alabama were in full uh, full force on Saturday as Alabama was getting beaten. Interesting. We'll put that on hold for now and turn the page to Ole Miss and New Mexico State. John Rice Plumley got the start, played the vast majority of the game. He was 11 of 17 passing for 124, but Ole Miss uh, was good on the ground against a defense that was simply overmatched. 447 total rushing yards for Ole Miss. Plumley had 177. Snoop Connor had 109. Jerry Neely had 71. Uh, Elijah Moore was Ole Miss's leading receiver again with just three catches for 37 yards in the game. Um, I mean, beat somebody that they're supposed to beat 41 to three, which is noteworthy, I guess. But I mean, is there anything really you can take away from this game, Rippy? With before we get to the quarterback stuff, did anything happen on the field that we can actually take away from a game like this? I mean, the young running backs continued to, I don't want to say pad their stats because that sounds like it's taking credit away from them, but they ran well in the absence of Scotty Phillips. And, you know, to have two freshman running backs put together that good of a season is nothing to really scoff at. But aside from that, no, I mean, it was, it was, the quarterback was the story. Snoop Connor was a really good evaluation in recruiting, that's for sure. Yeah, he didn't have any Power 5 offers this time last year. But the story of the game is the quarterbacks and well, really the lack of one in the game. Matt Corral came in after a little injury from John Rice Plumley. only threw two passes in the game. Uh, just, what was it, Rippy? one or two series, that's it, that we saw Matt Corral in? I believe it was two series, yes. I actually didn't know at the time it was a minor injury. I thought they just threw him a bone. So we'll get into that next. Some interesting post-game quotes from Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. I'm just kidding. Not going to play Christmas music for a while. Although, I did get my car this morning. I had the Saints postgame on the radio yesterday after they uh, forgot to show up against the 1-7 Falcons. Um, listened to the postgame as I was running errands and stuff for my wife and left it on that station. And this morning, started my car and that song came on. Literally already playing Christmas music uh, just uh, having a little fun on a Monday. It's uh, Sports Talk Mississippi. Mississippi, I'm Michael Borky. Got Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey here with you. Continuing on with Ole Miss and New Mexico State, but uh, not about the game itself. As Rippey said, you know, young running backs looking good. It, you know, that's a story from a game like that. Otherwise, not a whole lot you can take away from it. But what you can take away from a game like that is really the usage of the quarterback position. Matt Corral barely played in the game. Yet after the game, Rippey, Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez both said that it's still a two-quarterback system and they're going to use Corral down the stretch. Uh, what did they say and what do you make of it? I mean, I think I would probably make the same of it as pretty much everyone else who saw the quote, heard the quote, whatever. Um, that they're also hearing the transfer rumors? I mean, the writing's on the wall at that point. They've made their choice whether they want to or not. What I don't understand is... At the same time, it appears they've made their choice, right? Because, like, 
Matt Corral played like a couple series against Texas A&M, a couple he got two series against Auburn and then two very late in the game there against New Mexico State. The only time this has actually been a true two quarterback system deal was in the second half against Missouri where they actually found pretty decent success with it. But after that it hasn't been that at all. But at the same time they like mix him in just enough to kind of give the somewhat sort of illusion to it as well even though that hasn't really been the case the last two weeks. It's like they made a decision and then every time they see John Rice Plumley throw they're like, "Ooh, maybe we should not do that." And then like that still goes like it's like they can't get away from John Rice Plumley's feet, but at the same time I don't understand the making the decision yet occasionally sometimes sprinkling Corral in. I I don't get that at all. It, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Like I don't exactly know what what you're trying to accomplish there. Because at this point, like I don't understand what you like. Opponents know what you're doing and what you're trying to do. So I don't understand what is to be gained by I guess saying like, "Hey, this is still a two quarterback thing." When it's not, but then you'll have like the random corral appearance. It, it's confu- it confusing. Confusing to me as, as I'm sure it is everyone else. Yeah, especially sad. I mean, I know he threw 17 balls, but. Saturday would have been a great opportunity to at least really open up your offense and let Plumlee throw the football down the field a lot. Let him get work in that regard and maybe put it on film. But even though there was one screen pass, if I remember correctly, maybe more, but I remember seeing one, which is a a nice step in the right direction, and they actually threw the ball over the middle one time as well. When you're playing an opponent that's not going to score on you, who is just that bad, wouldn't that have been a perfect opportunity since Plumlee it just he is your guy and, and you're just going to make that work? If you're going to e- even be competitive at all with LSU this weekend, you can't run the same offense you did with Auburn. You have to throw the football down the field some. Would Saturday have not have been a great opportunity to get him more work in that in those kind of situations? Let him get work in the pocket, sitting his feet throwing the football down the field. And it just feels like, in one of the post-game quotes was, oh, it's still a two-quarterback system. We were just running the ball so successfully. But it's New Mexico State, and you're in control of that. I, that's what is confusing to me, on top of everything else you mentioned, is you had a perfect opportunity to, to throw Plumley 30 times in the game. Down the field. Let him take shots. See what you've really got in him. Because even though in the limited opportunities, you, I, everybody else has seen that, you know, he's got a long way to go in the pass game. There's only one way to develop a young quarterback. And it's to give them opportunities, right? And they, yeah, did, they didn't even, really do that. Even a couple of those balls that were thrown, particularly there's one that he threw back across the middle uh, they were going up against the south end zone and deep in their own territory, and it literally just kind of went through the New Mexico State guy. Like, there are at least two of those balls that are going to be pick sixes against any SEC defense. And so, I don't know if that was part of it. I don't know if they were just kind of worried about getting ahead and getting the result. That's the answer they gave, at least. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a fair point. They only threw it 17 times, but... I mean, I guess a team that hasn't won a whole lot, you're going to make sure that it leaves no doubt. But yeah, there was a perfect opportunity to do that. But at the same time, I mean, they... 17, you threw 17 times for 102 yards and you know, no touchdowns and no turnovers that I can, I don't think it was, I don't have it in front of me, no turnovers, no. But a couple that probably would have been against any defense with the pulse. You know, it just, I guess it kind of is what it is at this point. 
so what now? I mean, they have LSU this weekend. You know, maybe you'll get them in a in a lull after a big emotional win, but um, what do you make of what they say? I mean, are they just going to continue to to ride this train and then have another week of not being able to move the football? Do you anticipate they try to open it up more? I mean, what do you what do you expect? No, Early thoughts on this the- weekend. I think you're going to see the exact same thing. I mean, they're going to try it again, and you know, it hasn't proven to have success against any defense that's any good, and even some in some cases, average ones like A and M. But I don't see. I mean, they've they've nothing they showed last week would suggest any difference. So sure, I think it'll end up being the exact same thing. You'll see a lot of Plumley, and if he's not able to move the ball, they'll sprinkle in Corral in there and kind of throw him off the bench cold, and then kind of vice versa. I, I don't expect to see very much different at all. I think this is kind of what they, who they are and what they're doing at this point. You're, you're 10 games in. You've got two games left, three weeks. I, I don't think, I don't think you'll be making any drastic changes to that. A text from the 662 here that says, well, I get what you're saying about giving Plumlee work in the passing game. At this point, Luke has to do what he can to get a win. He cannot afford to use any game to work on anything but winning. Um, they weren't losing that game with me at quarterback. Uh, they could have done some more things. I, I understand what you're saying, though, and at, at this point, uh, optics are important as well because it, it doesn't sound... I mean, people are clamoring for change, and there's not... Uh, there's likely not going to be change. So, moving into the rest of the season where Saturday's probably not going to go well, you're overmatched to begin with, but when you're no threat to throw the football, LSU's just going to tee off on you offensively or defensively, excuse me, yeah, you've got New Mexico State, LSU, and the Egg Bowl, and optics for these last three weeks are important going into an offseason where if there are no changes made, um, getting excitement back into your program is going to be kind of difficult. And so, you know, I guess maybe it's more important to win 41-3 to or whatever it was, 41-3, to um, rather than getting your quarterback the work that's needed for for them to improve. Quarterback development has been botched. No matter what way you spin it, no matter which player you like more, it's been completely botched this year. Um, And there's uh, uh, no way to spin it otherwise. We get a text from... Go ahead. uh, Yeah, I mean, you're always going to have attrition with four freshman quarterbacks in the same room, but they had a way to kind of maybe control that a little bit and kind of steer it in one direction or another. And, I, I, you know... I, look, if they've made a choice and Plumlee's their guy, then that's then that's on them, and that's kind of what they'll live and die with, I guess, for the lack of a better phrase. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I to pull the plug on a guy that you spent the entire offseason making the face of your program and his development four games in after a minor rib injury and a few bad quarters because it's hard to put the Memphis gloss uh, a lot on Corral because of the way the offensive line played, but certainly struggled at times against Arkansas and had a really really bad third quarter against Cal. But to pull the plug that quickly. You know, you better be sure that you know. You better be sure the guy you pulled the plug for is your guy. And to that point, you know, you thought if if that was the case, you'd probably see more of what you're talking about, kind of developing Plumley in the passing game. Well, but they didn't really do a whole lot of that either. They went, they threw for a hundred yards. Ethan from Guntown asks if Matt Corral is Pac-12 bound. Hey, look, it, talking like that before you know anything becomes official is probably a little premature, but. I mean, the writing's on the wall, as as Rippy said, and and that's that's the the, the point that you just made. And, and what's really important here is uh, they're going to live and die with this now, because Tisdale's gone, uh, a guy that was highly recruited out of a 
important recruiting high school in Texas. Obviously has a big arm. I think wherever he goes, he's going to end up being a really good college quarterback. Just He just does not fit what they're trying to do right now, right or wrong. It feels, I'm not even sure if I agree with that. I, I see what you're saying. But oh, like He runs okay and throws okay. Maybe the the feet isn't a natural fit, but I, I get what you're saying. But like I... I I think it, that's kind of the, the problem in all of this is that like they made that decision or determination way too early, right? Absolutely. And anyway, and, and now, I mean, if you lose Matt Corral, here's what, what happens after this season. I mean, they've got one quarterback committed who, who's a highly recruited guy himself, but the ink has it, you know, signature has not been given yet. But you enter in an offseason where your quarterback, instead of working on his football pass game, instead of working on his arm in the football field, on the football field this spring, which is what is desperately needed, we play in baseball. And the only scholarship quarterback you're going to have left is Kim K. Den. Well, that's when another conversation kind of comes about. Is like you would think probably if they do and decide to go fully in this direction, there's a conversation had about that at that point because there's one scholarship that's paying the bills and it's not baseball. Absolutely, uh, a bunch of your texts have come in, so we'll get to those next, and then turn the page to Southern Miss. They got a big win over UAB at the Rock this weekend. Stick around. We'll be right back at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. A few more texts here in a tweet, and then we'll turn the page away from Ole Miss and New Mexico State and on to everything else that happened this weekend. We've got winners and losers coming up as well. We'll uh, continue to look at LSU and Alabama, and then Minnesota's upset over Penn State, and Chad Morris is firing, and all that good stuff is all coming up. But first, I want to get to these, and then we will turn the page. First from the 662... Optics is the key, he says. The more Plumlee throws, the worse it looks, then the dumber they look for running this kind of offense. Sure, I I just, you've got to develop quarterbacks somehow. And the only way you do that is you you let them make mistakes. You you let them fail, in a way. That's what makes, as we've talked about a few times already today, and, and basically we're beating a dead horse with this, it's just the same conversation every week because nothing has changed. It's that uh, Matt Corral was also a freshman himself, coming off of a redshirt year, but Memphis was his first start ever. And with young quarterbacks, they have to learn by doing. Everybody has to learn by doing. And somebody tweeted at us his stats from the Cal game. He had an abysmal third quarter. Young quarterbacks have to do that to continue to get better. Not everybody's Johnny Manziel in their freshman year. Not everybody's Jameis Winston in their freshman year. Most quarterbacks need time to develop, and a lot of the times you're not playing freshmen. They get years in a system. They get years to grow up. Garrett Schrader at Mississippi State's a very good example. I think he's got a a tremendous upside. I think he's going to end up being a really good quarterback, but what he does is make mistakes because he is a freshman quarterback. You have to grow and develop you either have to do it sitting for years or if you're going to play as a freshman you got you have to let them play and work through those kind of things and that's why the corral situation is so bizarre and then that's why Saturday to me not really opening up Plumley to help him learn how to be a passing quarterback on top of his supreme athleticism is a mistake does that make sense 
Yeah, I mean, they threw for 100 yards against the worst FCS team probably in the country, and we're fortunate not to have at least two turnovers. That's just off the top of my head. Lucas and Union asked what the attendance was. I don't know what the reported was. Um, reported was 45 and change. There's absolutely not 45,000 people there, although uh, the crowd was a little better than I expected, uh, considering all of the circumstances, but still uh, not not good. Um Empty seats everywhere. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a problem nationwide. Ole Miss is definitely more to it than just the average trend of people not going to games. But at the same time, it's, I mean, it's, it's an zero and eight New Mexico State team. Right. Or I mean, you can't are, get people to show opposite, up and watch that game. No opposite matter. of opposite of the game of the century, part two, basically. Like, you know, I mean, what probably out exceeded the low expectation I had for the crowd because I actually thought it filled up. It, there were more people there than I had envisioned. It's probably as it is a nice weather day. Yeah, that certainly helps. Josh and Tupelo-ish uh, says he thinks Ole Miss fans are spoiled with past receivers and is asking if uh, you had some drop Saturday as well, and you've had kind of a problem with that all season long. He's asking if it's due to youth, lack of talent, coaching, or surprise that the ball uh, was thrown. I think it's it's definitely not coaching because even though he got to work with some high-level players – uh, Ole Miss's wide receivers are having success in the NFL for a reason. Uh, I think Jacob Peeler is known, widely known as a good wide receivers coach. I think it's a, a lot of a lot of it can be pointed to youth. You've got a bunch of young guys playing wide receiver as well. Braylon Sanders has been hurt. Elijah Moore is experienced, and he's obviously head and shoulders their best receiver. But otherwise, you've got some talented kids that are still. Also, like Matt Corral and like John Rice Plumley, having to to learn and experience, and you assume and you imagine that they will get better. But I think a lot of the wide receiver issue is due to them having to play a lot of young and inexperienced guys at the position, and they just have to learn and grow, and you have to take the pains that come with that. The quarterback thing has stunted their development too. It's a two-way street. Absolutely. But yeah, at the same time, and and not having Sanders has been a really lo- big loss that really hasn't been talked about enough. Whatever. I hate to make general blanket statements, but that has hurt them probably more than they're leading on, or than you know people are probably accept on surface level because that's a really experienced receiver that played significantly throughout you know the last two years of the Brown Metcalf Lodge area era. Excuse me, which is very hard to do. And not, I mean, you saw it when he came back against A&M. Yeah, both those passes corralled through to him or end up overruled and incomplete. But just having that vertical threat is something they haven't had for most of the games because he's been hampered by a hamstring injury. And that that's really hurt them as well. That's a big piece of it. Get a text from 662 asking what would have to happen for Ole Miss to make a bowl game with five wins. And, and basically what it comes down to is not having enough six and six or better teams to fill the bowl slots because apparently their APR score, which is academic – progress something uh is good enough to where they could be one of those teams that would get in at five and seven but what first has to happen is there not to be enough bowl eligible teams which as southern miss learned last year um isn't all that likely we'll continue on next it's uh sports talk mississippi in the renaissance bank studio hour number two on this monday afternoon at sports talk mississippi streaming live at supertalk.fm I'm Michael Borky. Got Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with me. Richard Cross will join us here in about 15 minutes from right now. So I'm going to put winners and losers. We usually do this on Mondays just after 4 o'clock. 
right about this time. I'm going to push that back until Richard gets here because there are a couple of things off the football field that happened this weekend here in the state of Mississippi that I want to get to, and that is hoops. We had Ole Miss and Mississippi State both in action at home on Friday night, and we'll start with Mississippi State and Starkville. Hey, Dad. Uh, I had a tweet crafted, and it was, I forget the exact point spread, but it was when the game seemed to be in doubt in the second half. I had uh, a conversation with a buddy of mine who's a Mississippi State fan who lives down the street from me, and basically I said, attendance for Mississippi State men's basketball is a conversation, but it shouldn't be because they continue to put out performances like this one. And then they went on a massive run, came back, and handled Sam Houston State in the second half. And that was not in front of a, a very big crowd, uh, to, to be to be frank. But that said, you're you're right in that uh, Thursday's game would have been even sparser a, a, a gathering had uh, a Mississippi State lost that game, which it appeared for thirty plus minutes of that game they were well on their way to doing. Uh, but when you uh, were able to close on a seventeen zero run. Uh, you, you, you tend to, you know, unless you're losing by 18, I guess you're, you're gonna you're gonna be all right. And uh, you know, State didn't play well at all. Reggie Perry, another quiet night for him, even though he ended up with a double double. It really took until about midway through the second half before he got going. Uh, the team really had to lean on Tyson Carter, uh, who you know was able to deliver at least. Uh, but but by and large, with this team, you know, and this has sort of become like a, a, a thing the last few years with Howland's team. They just start slow. The problem is when you, you know, they, they were down 17 points to Sam Houston State. You start slow like that in conference play, you're going to be down 25, 26, 30 points, and you're not going to be able to dig out of that hole. But, you know, credit for the state for, for getting out and finding a way to win. But at the same time, that they, it's really clear how much they're going to, they miss Nick Weatherspoon. And when he gets back, it, it is how much is going to change the dynamic of this team. I think the team's, you know, pretty good. And when they get Nick Weatherspoon back, that they'll, they'll be a good SEC basketball team. But right now, they got to find a way to get some of these guys, especially Woodard and, and Perry, involved early and often. Otherwise, they're, they're going to drop one of these games that they shouldn't. And when Weatherspoon comes back, he'll take Molinar's spot in the rotation, yeah. you think? Well, he'll be the starting point guard, and Molinar will, will go to the bench. And I like Molinar. I think you know, you're seeing some good things from him in these first couple of games. But they need a guy like Weatherspoon who can, who can drive and get to the bucket. And that's where State was able to get success. On Friday night, they, they the, early on their offense was very static, just guys hanging around the perimeter, nobody really in the paint. Once Tyson Carter realized, hey, I can get by my guy and go to the the, the bucket, he was able to open up some opportunities, and that's where Reggie got a lot of his points was you know getting some putbacks or getting some some balls down low. That's where he you know that's where he thrives. So they they've got to get. You know, my worry preseason that Perry was going to use this time at Mississippi State to sort of show off that, hey, I do have some range, it's sort of coming to fruition. He's been a little too active around the perimeter. You know, he needs to re- realize that the perimeter stuff is nice and that's you know, some NBA teams want to see that you can do it, but they still want to see that you can score down low. That's where you're going to make your money at the next level. And, and so most of the game Friday he was not doing that. And it was when he decided to get down low and play is when the MSU was able to get control of the game. 0 for 3 from uh, behind the three-point line in that game. And... It- it's a very small sample size, but uh, not great three-point shooting for Mississippi State early on. Do you think that's – is it because they're poor shot selection or they're just not making shots right now or maybe they need to just take fewer of them? Um, I don't think it's the shot selection. I think they're just 
I hate to say unlucky, but they're just they're missing some shots they should make. Um, you know, Stewart is a guy. DJ Stewart is a guy who I thought was more of a three point specialist than he's shown so far. Has not been really great from from the perimeter. Robert Woodard had a big three pointer in the game. They finally gave MSU the lead late in the uh, second half, but he hasn't been as good from deep. And like you mentioned, Reggie Perry, zero for three. Now, I understand. He, like I said, I know he needs to show some of that to to be able to go at the next level. But at the same time. You know, if you, sometimes you just don't have that, and so I don't know if he's going to be able to add that to his repertoire or not. But we'll see. Um, but I don't think it's an issue of of talent. I, don't, I think it's just those shots just aren't falling. And the state had some games like that early, you know, last season as well. But by and large, I think this will be a, a they won't be a forty percent three point shooting team by any means, but they can hit one out of every three, which is perfectly acceptable. And once Reggie Perry gets going, then uh, that. If he ever gets going, which you think he will, because when you read about Reggie Perry, everybody thinks that he is a, a legit NBA big. Um, once he figures that out, as you mentioned, uh, starts playing on the block, they'll be just fine. Yeah, yeah, he'll. Everything's going to be okay long term with this team. I think you know they're they're going to be what we all think they're going to be, which is a team that battles for an NCAA tournament spot. But like I said. Something Vic Schaefer said about Jordan Danbury when MSU got her back this year, it sort of applies to Nick Weatherspoon, too. Vic said, you don't realize how difficult it is just to add 13 points per game to your roster. And so that's the thing with, with Weatherspoon. When you, when he comes back, that's 12 to 13 points per game State's going to get. Right there. So whatever they're scoring now, add 13 points to it. That's what's going to happen when Nick Weatherspoon returns. So that that makes for a, 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 a much easier path once he gets back. But eight more games to go for that. They have what is it, Louisiana Monroe on Thursday night? Correct. The six o'clock tip at the hump. The Warhawks and Haydad will have coverage from that. Also on Friday night, Ole Miss, uh, not from the jump because there was a an angry Kermit timeout. Uh, what was it, Rippy? Forty seconds into the game, uh, but after that timeout, Ole Miss just put it on cruise control and dominated uh, the rest of the night against a overmatched Arkansas State team. Yeah, and they were. Really, Arkansas State, after the first couple of, uh, they made a couple of perimeter jump shots early on in the game, and really after that, didn't really find any consistent success, particularly there wasn't much for them in the paint. I think they only finished the game with 15 field goals, but Ole Miss played pretty well defensively. They struggled some offensively, again, particularly Bree and Tyree, but I think uh, how they look and how differently they look in the front court is certainly a good sign, because, I mean, a low bar to get over in terms of how them being better than last year, but... With C and Sammy Hunter and you know however much they're going to end up trusting Carlos Curry off the bench, uh, they were going to be a much more versatile team in the front court and presumably rebound and rim protect a lot better than they did a year ago. And then I think you also saw signs of an uptick in scoring from both KJ Buffin, who has probably looked like the most improved offensive player on the roster, a lot stronger, gets to the rim through contact a lot easier. And then Devontae Shuler had 20 points, and he was a 10-point-per-game guy last year who really just kind of ran their offense. I think you'll see an uptick there as well, particularly because they got to replace Terrence Davis's scoring on the wing from somewhere. I think Richard is connected, so we'll bring him in now. Richard, what's up? What's up, boys? Hey, Richard, I'm here today. <laughs> I'm glad. Glad I could join you, right? Uh, I, somebody <laughs> forgot to tell me that the show started at 3. Uh, oh. Vanderbilt just had the longest basketball practice shoot-around. Normally, that's like 45 minutes to an hour. They went for like an hour 40. Feels like a, an old Nolan Richardson practice uh, when, when he like you know had them in full lather on game day. But uh, I just got to spend a little time with Jerry Stackhouse. Uh, 
That's kind of a neat game. That, that's that that's the hire. When you look at all fourteen coaches, I know I just jumped in and you guys were talking hoops. Um, when you look at all fourteen coaches in the SEC, I think they're thirteen that you know exactly what you're getting. And because he's never been a college basketball coach before, he's kind of the guy that you got a question mark about. He's pretty doggone impressive, uh, especially kind of in the way that he's teaching, and it seems like the way he sees the game. Uh, obviously, only one game in at this point, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. There are no rules in that, Jim. Look at where everybody sits. <laughs> no rules. Yeah. Plus, they lost. Uh, uh, yeah, bench, eighteen conference games the last year. They need the work. Yes, you're right. It's um, it's a strange setup and a weird gym. Hey, you know what else is weird? Uh, sat next to Sarah Jessica Parker at breakfast this morning, staying at the same hotel I'm staying in of uh, Sex in the City fame. Yeah. And, and and here's one more weird nugget. So I got here last night, and I walked to dinner, uh, just sat at the bar at P.F. Chang's and ate quickly. And as I was walking back, coming out of the steakhouse next door to where I was eating, this guy comes out in a sweatshirt, and his kind of gray blonde hair is sticking straight up. And I, I kind of did a double take and then kept walking. I said, that was Tim Corbin, Vanderbilt baseball coach, and his wife. And so I kind of looked over my shoulder. I was like, oh, I wonder what kind of rig he's driving. To, you know, I looked back expecting him to jump into, you know, an SUV or some high-dollar sports car or something like that. Climbs into a two-seater side-by-side that he and his wife, I guess, are riding back to the Vanderbilt baseball stadium in. <laughs> Just motored off. It was like a fully enclosed little street legal, like, Kawasaki mule or something. That's not what I would have expected. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that either. No. No. I, I don't know if that's on brand or, or not. I could see Borky tootling around in that, though. They could have fun with it. What are we doing next, Borky? You're running this show. Winners and losers. We uh, pushed that back. Waited on you. Beautiful. Let's take a timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. JT show will be in Collins at Ramey's Marketplace for the annual visit with Mr. Bill Watson from the Veterans Administration to talk veterans benefits. What's available? How do you get it? Are you eligible? That's the JT show talking and helping veterans tomorrow at Ramey's Marketplace in Collins. And then on Friday, we will be split up with two top 10 football teams visiting Mississippi on Saturday. You can join Sports Talk Mississippi on Friday at both Cowboy Maloney's Home Store in Columbus and Cowboy Maloney's Home Store in Oxford. Cowboy Maloney's will have Black Friday money-saving prices on electronics, furniture, and appliances. So Sports Talk Mississippi will be at Cowboy Maloney's in Columbus and in Oxford coming up this Friday ahead of Mississippi State hosting Alabama and Ole Miss hosting LSU. It's Monday. We pushed it back a little bit. But it's time for winners and losers. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. We 
want to hear from you. We'll get to your winners and losers coming up in just a few minutes on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395 from the weekend. What did you like? What did you dislike? I'm going to do combination winner and loser in the same thing to start us off. So I think it was kind of cool. Now, if, if if you were listening to this clip on Twitter and you had a kid around, I hope you did earmuffs or made them go away. But getting raw, emotional, full-on Ed Ogeron post-game in the locker room, man, he's eating up beating Alabama and doesn't expect it to be the last time. And I think with high school football players and with his team, what Ed Ogeron said after the game about beating Alabama on the field, not going to be the last time, beating them in recruiting, and uh, his, uh, um, oh, the, the words that he used uh, to describe roll tide. I thought that was pretty raw, but it was pretty emotional, and I guess maybe just the bigger winner here is Ed Ogeron, who has proved pretty much everybody with a pulse, a heartbeat, and breath in them wrong and uh, clearly was the right choice for LSU at the right time. The loser part of it, the player who recorded his head coach in an emotional post-locker room speech and then decided to release it on social media, immediately having it go viral, poor guy says that uh, Ed Ogeron has, uh, well, I guess it was Ed saying that he had talked to the player and uh, he doesn't think the player meant anything ill by it, but sometimes what you say around the family dinner table should stay there and not be for the entire free world to consume. So that would be, I guess, a winner and a loser rolled all into one. Borky, give me a winner. How about Terrence Davis? I mean, he went from everybody around here talking about how he's making a mistake playing basketball and should switch over to football because he has no business on the basketball floor. Being the reason the Raptors won in the Staples Center over the Lakers last night, he was plus 13, had 13 points on 5 of 8 shooting, including a couple of dagger threes in their win last night. He's getting real rotational minutes as an undrafted rookie in the NBA for the reigning champion and doing really well. I mean, he was the dagger that beat the Lakers last night. That's really cool from a for a guy from South Haven, Mississippi, who nobody thought should be playing basketball in the first place. Get a block shot of LeBron James. How cool is that? Hey, Dad, how about a winner? Well, first off, I don't like anything that was just said. None of it. <laughs> uh Speaking of things I don't like, i got to give a shout-out to uh, my friend Coach Brooke Roberts over there at Tri-County Academy because the Atlanta Falcons were winners uh, this weekend. When, when you know, if, if a team I cheer for gets beat and it's close, I can maybe come up with an excuse and try to make myself feel better. None of that on Sunday. The Falcons just came into the Superdome and beat the Saints down and made them like it. Uh, nothing, nothing positive to report from that. So I don't know what kind of – I don't think it's going to turn around Atlanta's season. They're still not a really good team. Probably not going to make the playoffs, but uh, they got their win on on Sunday, and they deserved it. Rippy, how about a winner? Man, y'all took the first three I was going at. I guess I'll go with a winner and loser of fusing one. The Titans somehow beat the Chiefs, and the Chiefs invented a new way to lose. That was awful. Yeah. So they had a field goal to go up nine with end. two minutes left and lost the game. They had. Or, the ball. I guess they're at three four minutes left. What was it? The Titans were out of the the Chiefs were out of timeouts. Titans were out of timeouts. Chiefs had the ball, what, with like a third down at the 25 and a chance to kick a field goal to go up late, and they end up doing none of that? 
Yeah, so the this uh, long snapper snapped it when the holder wasn't looking, so that they didn't even attempt the first field goal. Titans take it down and score, <laughs> and then the basically the Chiefs had another shot to basically put the game away. Up, I guess that would have been five. And uh, wait, now I'm getting all confused. Yeah, they were up blocked, five with got the it cha- blocked on the final play of the game. Yeah, they basically the Titans scored to take the lead, and then they had a chance to uh, to win it on a field goal and got it blocked on what looked like an offsides. But then upon a further review, I don't think it was offsides. But really tough way to lose when you're up nine with less than five minutes left. Is Memphis basketball a winner or a loser right now? They are currently a winner. They will end up being a loser. I mean, Memphis has gone full in. This story broke as we were wrapping things up or we were late in the show on uh, on Friday afternoon uh, about James Wiseman. Uh, the way it was originally reported was being declared ineligible. Um, in reality, though, the NCAA doesn't have the ability to declare someone in- ineligible. The school has to do it. What we found out later was the NCAA told Memphis that he would likely be ineligible and that Memphis needed to do what it needed to do. And Memphis basically thumbed its nose, put together a legal team, went and got a temporary injunction, a restraining order put against the order, said that he is eligible pending a court case on, uh, I think it's scheduled for a week from today, November 18th, played James Wiseman in the game, he had double-digit points, and he got on a plane to go to Oregon to uh, play Oregon coming up tomorrow night. So for, for those who love the man fighting against the NCAA, uh, probably a winner. But I'm with you, hey Dad. It feels like in the long run, when you go at the NCAA like this, as blatantly and openly as Memphis is going at the NCAA, and there are actually some people out there who say legally – this thing may stand up, but when the NCAA puts you in their sights and says, we're going to get you, you better have everything in order. And I mean everything in order. But then they admitted to doing it, basically. They admitted that he got the money, correct? That's an official statement. So, Yeah, they're gonna. this is not going to work. Like, everyone was applauding them for, quote, unquote, declaring war on the NCAA, and that's all great, but, like, you admitted to doing it and then declared war. That doesn't make any sense. That's not going to work. Once you're in the quicksand of the NCAA, you're not getting out because they play by their own rules. Yeah, and tend to make rules that fit their style of warfare uh, along the way. Uh, Any losers we need to get to? Uh, Real quick. you got a loser? We already mentioned him today, but P.J. Fleck, winner. I mean, the guy's just awesome. And that was a cool atmosphere and great for Minnesota. Um, hey, let me interrupt real quick. Is that the best crowd rushing the field like aerial shot you've ever seen? It was spectacular. It was really good. It's tough to quantify those, but yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's got cool looking shots where lots, of, but it was like there was not one square inch of turf available to be seen by the naked eye looking at that aerial picture. Everybody yeah. in the stadium was on the field. What about losers? I'll throw a loser out there. And it's a guy I, I told y'all was going to be a loser back in August, Will Muschamp in South Carolina. Not good. Mm. Not good. And they got he got the vote of confidence today, so I guess he'll be getting fired in a few weeks. I understand his buyout <laughs> is huge, but at what point do we just throw up our hands and go, maybe he's just not a good head coach? Good defensive coordinator. He'll get the job done there, but don't put him in charge. 
Yeah. App State Chad traveled Morris. so well to that game, too. They had a ton Shout of Shout out there, to boy. Boone. Yeah. Yeah, but at Rip the same youth. time, I, I agree with what you're saying for the most part, but at the same time, that was a team that was ranked a week ago, and South Carolina's on backup quarterback and is just killed with injuries. Like, it's not a great look, but is that really the nail in the coffin? Doesn't seem like it. It'll be no, when Clemson beats him by be, 40. Yeah, when, when they lose these next, next two games year. badly. He probably will, but they won't be any better. Hmm. Oh, by the way, my loser, Dion Waiters, uh, took... Uh, <laughs> took what is being described as a gummy, so, you know, draw your own conclusions, uh, before he hopped on the team plane, had a, air quotes, panic attack after eating a gummy and has been suspended for 10 games. But in a ride-or-die situation, the team knows he got it from a teammate, but he will not snitch on his teammate. So he's taking the so fall for winner. his buddy. So he's kind of a winner, but, yeah, took a gummy and had a panic attack on the team plane on their way home from a road trip. thought that was supposed to calm you down. I think it's Breck, dude. A gummy laced with... Uh, yeah, Something. Uh, who knows. All right, your winners and losers when we come back. A bunch of them coming in. You can still send them to us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Born the Renaissance Bank studio after this. I'm giving Michael Borky full credit for this. We've been doing winners and losers for, oh, two or three years now on Mondays. And somewhere along the way, you started kind of sending us some of your winners and losers. And Borky said, hey, we should devote a segment to listener winners and losers. And boy, have you delivered. There's a theme in a bunch of these. Uh, you got a bunch of uh, Arkansas mentions in one way or another. Not too late, though. If you want to send us your winners or losers, one or both, to the C Spire text line, you can do so right now. 601-879-4395. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Monday afternoon that is going to turn into a cold Monday night. Good grief is it going to be cold when you wake up and take your kids to school in the morning or you get up and go to work or maybe you go to school yourself. So here are some of yours on the C Spire text line. If LSU-Bama uh, had been played on a neutral field, LSU would have been uh, would have beaten Bama by 20. Losers, Alabama. This says Lossie's loser, Alabama. Thanks, Lossie. I think they could have played that game on the moon, and LSU would have won. Uh, Lucas and Union, always good about sending us his. Winner, Andy Ogletree. For helping the USA golf team win the team competition of the Spirit International. Loser, the Dolphins. You're supposed to be tanking for Tua. Uh, Related to that, uh, here's one that says, uh, Mine may sound strange, but winner, the Cincinnati Bengals, for basically wrapping up the first pick in the draft. Loser, Miami, but they may still get the quarterback they were tanking for to begin with. Rippy, you were kind of on the uh, on the front edge of this Dolphins are playing a little bit better thing. Yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing pretty good football. I mean, I know they're, they've got a bunch of players that are, you know, would be on practice squads or not on other rosters at all, but they are playing better against the, I guess, wishes of their front office and ownership. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Major League, isn't it? 
Yes, I do not know who the Dolphins' owner is, but I imagine they are not tearing a piece off of his cutout clothing every time they win a game. <laughs> that would... No. <laughs> let's hope not. Uh, let's hope not. Luke and Flowood, winner, the picture of the snipers protecting the president at the Alabama game. Did you guys see that picture that was floating around? Uh, one guy looking through binoculars, and there are about four high-powered rifles that are sitting there on uh, on bipods propped up on a board uh, ready to jump into action. Thankfully, no need for uh, for action. Um, we probably should say this right now as well. Today is Veterans Day, and on behalf of all of us, not just at Sports Talk Mississippi, but at Super Talk Mississippi, uh, would like to say thank you to the men and women who have made the choice to serve our country, whether you are someone who has served previously or someone who is uh, serving currently. Thank you for making that sacrifice, making that commitment. We know it's a sacrifice, not just yourself, but for your family, uh, for your friends, for being willing to put yourself in harm's way to uh, protect the freedoms that we all enjoy. Uh, I know pretty much everybody has either a friend or a family member who is serving or who has served uh, in the military. My grandfathers, both of them uh, served. My uh, grandfather on my mom's side served in the Coast Guard. My grandfather on my dad's side, served in the Air Force. Uh, Jane's first cousin uh, is currently a helicopter pilot uh, for the United States Army after attending West Point. So uh, I know we've, most of us have somebody close to us that uh, either is serving or has served, and for that, we all say thank you. Um, Louie in the 662 says, Winner, Kermit Davis for signing the number 43 player in the nation. And then he corrected. He says, actually got a commitment from him. Uh, that's Matthew Morrell, who has been talked about, Rippy, for a while. Uh, really good player, highest-ranked player that Ole Miss has ever gotten a commitment for, and he is expected to sign later this week. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a program, not a defining one, but like it's indicative of the type of success Kermit Davis is having recruiting with that was probably ultimately going to determine whether he had I don't want to say sink or float, but had another level of success, like a different level than Andy Kennedy did, and that's being in on these kids on a more regular basis and getting a couple of them, and he's certainly doing that. This is the latest evidence. Loser, CBS for continuing to let Gary Danielson be on a football broadcast. Okay. Loser, Chad Morris, who got a shot as a head football coach in a Power 5 conference and couldn't get it done. Winner, Chad Morris, a $10 million check is coming his way. Paul and Starkville, winner, Arkansas, for firing their head coach. Uh, Losers, the Saints, I've seen better football from Arkansas this year. (laughs) It's a little harsh, Borky. Well, you know, he's not wrong, especially up front. I mean, that was an offensive line that, I mean, really played well against Davion Clowney and Khalil Mack, and every single week they've been really good up front on the offensive line. Six sacks of Drew Brees on Sunday? It's like they all went out and partied the night before to celebrate Sean Payton's engagement or something. Winner Sean Payton's fiance? Yeah, winner Sean Payton. He got engaged this weekend. That's really cool. Congrats to him. But um, angry people on the internet, very upset that he was not game planning on Saturday night. Instead, he was proposing to his longtime girlfriend. David and Socher, loser, Kentucky offense. How peewee footballish is that? Oh, they're playing what? a wide receiver at quarterback. 
who actually gave them a chance to win. He's a great story. I know they lost the game and you know they lost to Georgia and couldn't score, but hey, he's really trying. And they throw the football with him a little bit, and he can kind of do it. He's a really cool story. Hey, Dad, here's a winner from Bruce. Jordan Danbury of Mississippi State granted the extra year of eligibility and was the second leading scorer for Mississippi State in their first game win over Southern Miss with 14 points. So uh, Jordan Danbury in the winner's column, Mississippi State, I guess, in the winner's column as a result as well. Here's one. Southern Miss defense, a winner. Morky, they pitched a shutout. I mean, the only two points that UAB scored in the game were via a safety. That Southern Miss defense turned uh, turned UAB over, made stop after stop after stop. That was really impressive. Yeah, they would have won the game if they were the only uh, side of the ball that would have played for Southern Miss on Saturday. They had a pick six. So they outscored UAB as a defense. Wow. Uh, let's see here. Snuffy and Tupelo says loser Mark Ingram for blaming Trump for the Alabama loss. <laughs> Jeez. Well... If 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 Ingram blames him for the loss, does he give him credit for the win when he was at the championship game two years ago? I mean, if you're going to play both sides of that coin. Uh, winner from Quinn, noted LSU fan, Ed O. He embarrassed his critics and delivered, LSU, uh, delivered every LSU fan from Nick Saban. He says, go Tigers, and he spells it E-A-U-X. Uh, loser, Alabama fans on Facebook saying, fire Saban. I did a search on Twitter, as I tend to do after they... Let that sink in. Oh, yeah. Of Alabama fans saying... Like, I searched the phrases, hard to be a Bama fan and sucks to be a Bama... Stuff like that. I mean, these people really think that it's difficult to be an Alabama fan. That people are out to get them. That ESPN and CBS and the refs and the SEC front office are out to get them. These people actually believe that it is difficult to live their life in sports fandom. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, Loser Chris Collinsworth last night. Oh, did you Um, see that? Yeah, talking about Dak Prescott buying a house for his mother. Uh, Prescott's mother passed away six years ago, I believe it was, and apparently there was some court, sort of a half-hearted apology that happened uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, that, that's Kevin something you just will, can't do. You just can't do that. That's, it's, it's not a mistake you can make. You're right. And I hope, I don't know if he did or not, but I hope Chris Collinsworth reached out to Dak Prescott personally and said, man, that came out wrong. I I know the history. I know your history. I know your family's story. I admire you as a player. Please accept my apology. I would think that that's something that would go a long way. It's certainly not something you have to do, but it sure would be nice if we, even if we didn't find out about it, if that actually happened from uh, Chris Collinsworth. Um. Kevin in Smithville, Rich Rod for not opening up the playbook and using New Mexico State as a glorified practice. Uh, Greg says he gets credit for winners and losers because he started texting those in. It's not Borky, and he says he's just being real. Uh, I didn't come up with the idea okay. of winners and losers. That that was already on Richard Cross's radio show when I started. So, 
Darren and Jackson, Richard, I'm a Navy submarine veteran, and I was on patrol during the 1985 Super Bowl and didn't find out that San Francisco won it until we returned in March. Wow. Allen says, winner, Ole Miss women's basketball. And uh, here's one more. Winner, Alabama. They can sit Tua to get healthy, watch LSU win out, skip the SEC championship game, and then get a rematch in the national championship game. It's not the craziest thought. I don't know that it's a shoe-in, but it's not outlandish either. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Those are your winners and losers. Thanks for participating in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Wrapping up the 4 o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Borky, we, uh, in week one of the season, had a really good Monday night football game. We have had to wait a while, but we got another good one tonight with Seattle and San Francisco. Man, I'm thrilled, especially after the awful NFL weekend, or I guess day that I had yesterday. I had to turn it off for a while. Like I, you were I couldn't, so mad about the Saints game? It, just, it wasn't so much mad as, as just annoyed because, you know, if the team you like gets beat because they get beat, that's fine. But they didn't even show up. I mean, it was sloppy and, ju- and absolutely brutal. It was just not fun to watch. Like I had, I had to step away from football for a little while just because that, I mean, that made me feel bad about the sport in general. They like, embarrassed the legacy of the game. Just terrible. <laughs> they had to go home and tell their wives and children that they, yeah, embarrassed the legacy of the game. That's how poorly they played, but it was just one game. I mean, you had local media people down there. I don't know how an NFL city, and it's not all of them, but you had some people that, uh, oh, well, you know, they they can't make a run in the playoffs now, all this kind of stuff. It's, you have an eight-game sample size that tells you that they're legit. They have one off day where they play like garbage the day after their coach gets engaged, and suddenly you remove everything you thought about the team. They're still very, very good. They still have a chance to win a Super Bowl. There's still talent everywhere. Marshawn Lattimore got hurt, which didn't help, but he's week to week. It's one game. I don't know how an NFL city and media that covers an NFL team can have such irrationality after one game. Given the weekend that underdogs in the NFL have had, and you you look at that number tonight, San Francisco a six-point favorite at home against the Seattle Seahawks. It is time for the Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day, brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge at the Golden Moon Casino. Rippy, I really, really, really want to take the six points with the Seahawks on the road, but I just think about how good that Niners defense is and what it, for, for Seattle to pull this off, Russell Wilson is going to have to play out of his mind, and I know he's really good, but against that defense, I'm just not sure I'm feeling it. Yeah, I mean, he's basically had to do that all year anyway because they don't really have too much of a consistent running game and the defense isn't very good. But, yeah, I don't know. It should be a good one. Do you think I'm crazy for laying the six with San Francisco tonight? No, not at all. I think they're the best team in the NFL. 
Borky, did did um, New Orleans losing yesterday kind of punch a hole in Haydad's theory of the Saints being the best team in the NFL? Uh, yeah, a little bit. It, it is just one game, but um, the offensive yeah, line struggles. Two losses, right? And then the first one was when Breeze got hurt, but. I mean, Baltimore lost to Cleveland, got blown out by Cleveland. So, one game shouldn't change the way you think about a team, but I think the pecking order that you and Rippy laid out during that time, I think it's the correct one. Yeah. Well, on ESPN's Football Power Index last week, I'll be interested to see what their updated rankings say uh, after tonight's game is over. But they had the Niners as the number one team, New England as number two, and the Saints as number three. I don't know if the Saints will hold on to that spot or not. We'll see. So I'll lay the points tonight. Uh, it kind of against my better judgment again because of how good the uh, underdogs were this week in the NFL. Uh, but uh, I think I'm going to semi-confidently lay the six and take the 49ers over the Seahawks. Monday night football in the Bay Area for the Pearl River Resort pick of the day brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Bork, you mentioned the, the um, Baltimore, the Ravens just a second ago. Did you see the note that um, Lamar Jackson was just the second quarterback in NFL history to have a perfect passer rating in the game? 158.3, joining who? This season? No, 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 ever. Uh, I have no idea who that could be, Rodgers? Ben Roethlisberger. How about that? Also had a 158.3 passer rating that is perfect in that particular metric um they use him so well it's just the the way they implement an option game into an nfl offense is perfect because they still they still have a passing threat they throw the football with him he can sit in the pocket and, and make throws he's not the best at it but he can do it but then they'll run this little like triple option speed option to the edge kind of thing and just let him get in space it's awesome because they don't do that exclusively because that wouldn't work either. The balance that they have from traditional NFL pocket passing to running speed options with their quarterback and getting him out in space, is it's so well done. It's impressive. Lamar Jackson, 15 of 17, 223 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He also had seven carries for 65 yards and a touchdown, had a 47-yard run. Mixed in there. Quite the day at the office yesterday for Lamar Jackson as the Ravens beat the Bengals 49-13 to to improve to 7-2. and Bengals, the hapless Bengals, fall to 0-9. Coming up next, the 5 o'clock hour, that means the college football fix with you on this Monday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Just after 5 o'clock with you, Super Talk Mississippi. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippy with you on this Monday afternoon. Hey, Dad, split out a little bit early. We're glad to have you along. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. You're in North Mississippi, maybe you're a farmer and you've got equipment needs, need to buy a new piece of property, uh, get a production loan, refinance an existing loan, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help with that. Or if you're not a farmer, but you're thinking about building a dream house in the country or buying a piece of recreational property, somewhere where you can hunt and fish or maybe just get away, 
Uh, let Mississippi Land Bank uh, give it a shot. They are fantastic people who know the land financing business. They've been working in that arena for over 100 years. At Mississippi Land Bank, they know the lay of the land. It is just after 5 o'clock on Monday, and so that means it's time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. you got a few 2019 F-150 models still remaining. Great savings, great financing on those if you haven't test-driven one in a while or ever. Go to your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive one today. The F-150, the best-selling truck in America. So we talked kind of around this a little bit. Borky, I know you guys spent a bunch of time on Alabama LSU early in the show. That was one matchup involving 8-0 and teams, undefeated teams. You had one that got the day started. What was it? Uh, big nude kickoff on Fox, I suppose. Uh, Penn State visiting Minnesota. And Minnesota gets a 31-26 win. So James Franklin team loses. Man, I hate that. Just absolutely hate it. It's just the worst. I mean, it happened to Penn State, too. Uh, uh, just a place that we all know and love so much. To to lose that way, just devastating. <laughs> How about the play of sophomore quarterback Tanner Morgan for Minnesota? He was 18 of 20 for 339 yards and three touchdowns. Weapons uh, out at wide receiver. He's got three big targets, guys that can really go get it. Um, you know, 121 yards on the ground, not just dominating. The thing was, Minnesota ran out to a, a big lead. They were up 14-10. to 10. They were up 24-13 at the half. Penn State tried to kind of chip away, claw their way back into it. And uh, Minnesota was able to hang on at the end, had a big uh, defensive play uh, that was able to uh, keep Penn State off the board. Felt like for a minute, like momentum was kind of switching and Penn State was really finally getting it in gear offensively after a slow start, uh, but a big defensive play at the end. And Minnesota goes to 9-0. and So the question becomes, in the first edition of the college football playoff rankings, Minnesota was 17. And the argument was, they hadn't beaten anybody. Hadn't really played much of anybody. Well, they just beat the team that was ranked number four. And they are still undefeated. And the schedule remaining is not impossible for Minnesota. So question number one, Borky, and you too, Rippy, How high does Minnesota jump when the second edition of the playoff rankings come out tomorrow night? I think they should be out of principle ahead of everybody except for Alabama and Georgia. Is that fair? Because in term, So you think those two one-loss teams should still be ranked ahead of them? Right, but there is nothing as of yet about Oregon or Utah. Florida's got two losses, right? Um, and obviously Penn State, who they just beat. Because even though... We kind of joked, or at least I did, about how they use the term eye test. But at some point, you have to look at what Minnesota has versus what Alabama has, for example, and know that Alabama is a better football team than Minnesota. I know Alabama does not have a signature win. Minnesota does. But if you are asking me to put the better team 
ahead of the other, I would still put Alabama ahead of Minnesota in spite of that really impressive win on Saturday. Rippy, where would you put him? Um, I don't know. Somewhere in the probably in that same range, six, seven, somewhere in there. But I mean, at the end of the day, if they went out, they're going to go. So right, because that'll require beating Ohio State in the Big Ten championship. So if you go undefeated sure. and beat Penn State and Ohio State, you cannot be left out. So yeah, and I don't think they will be. As far as where you rank them, is like, I mean, I don't know. They're undefeated. They're in the Big tw- like. Why does Alabama, before they played LSU, get the benefit of the doubt of not playing anybody, but Minnesota doesn't, and they've won all their games? Like that doesn't necessarily seem to add up to me either. So I don't know, somewhere in that six-seven range. So, in terms of the college football playoff rankings, and then what happened: Ohio State beats Maryland seventy-three to fourteen. LSU beats Alabama 46 to 41. Is there any question that LSU jumps to the number 1 spot? None. But how lucky's Ohio State gotten? I mean, if you look at their schedule, so Nebraska was supposed to be a tricky road game. They lose like a week or two weeks before Ohio State comes to town. Then Wisconsin supposed to be tough. They lose to Illinois a week before they come to town. Now their marquee game is Penn State who loses to Minnesota two weeks before they play. I agree, but I think Ohio State's a little a half level up than everyone else. I think they're the best team, and then everyone else is kind of playing for second. Not playing for second, but in terms of right now, Ohio State appears to be kind of a, a level better than everyone else. If you're talking eye test. All right, Defensively, so Rippy, they Ohio look State better than LSU. And make LSU two? Yeah, but I mean, if they put LSU one, like whatever, I did, I wouldn't have that strong of an opinion either way. But I, I don't know. Ohio State just looks so dominant against everyone they play, and that might be a, a product of who they played. LSU really good too. Those are the two best teams, but I'd probably give a slight edge to Ohio State just to eye test. All right, so Ohio State wins big, LSU wins, Alabama loses, Penn State loses, Clemson 55-10 to over NC State, and so those Clemson fans who had angst last week, well, your angst can go away. You're now in the top four, and as long as you don't lose, you're going to stay there. Georgia 27 to nothing against a Missouri team that looked hapless in that game. Georgia's defense playing at a really, really high level. Offense still a little workmanlike. Uh, Georgia's going to have a chance to play themselves into the top four, assuming they don't lose again, because they are likely going to meet LSU in the SEC championship game. And the winner of that game, assuming it's a one-loss Georgia and an undefeated LSU, will be in the top four. It gets interesting after that, though. Oregon did not play this past weekend. They are 8-1, and one, currently at number seven. Utah. Uh, sorry, Utah did not play this past weekend. They are eight that? and one, currently at number eight. Oklahoma, um, who? Utah. Yeah, that I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How I, I couldn't let that like one that, slide. Rick, that was did. pretty good. That was a definite hate atism. So you've got Oregon at seven and Utah at eight. <laughs> <laughs> just for you um 
Oklahoma hangs on for dear life against Iowa State, 42-41. Iowa State went for two at the end of the game, trying to win it on the road. There are a lot of, most everybody will get on board with a team who has a chance to win it on the road in regulation, doing that and not forcing overtime. I'm not 100% sure that I'm on board with that philosophy. How do you guys feel about that? Rippy, I'll leave that one to you. It's the Iowa State thing? Yeah. Yeah, I I don't mind it, but the but the I, I actually got to catch a so after the game ended, I went and saw some family in town. But I, I when I got back to my house, the end of that was unfolding, and just the way Oklahoma was melting down, I would have probably taken it into overtime and just ridden the wave of momentum because it really felt like they were going to just self destruct them being Oklahoma. So I don't normally mind the call most of the time when you're clearly the overmatched team. But Iowa State's competent, and they had so much momentum, and Oklahoma was just doing inexplicable things. I might have ridden that one into overtime, but I don't really hate it. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think Iowa State's a good team. I certainly get North Carolina against Clemson going for two and trying to get the win because you're probably not going to outdo Clemson in overtime if you're North Carolina. Iowa State, though, has three receivers that are 6'6 or taller. I mean, that's legit weapons. Purdy, their quarterback, was playing well. They were you know, getting big-time plays. I think I would have been tempted to kick the extra point and see what happens in overtime, but who knows. Uh, Florida wins 56 to nothing against Vanderbilt. Auburn was off. They're number 11. Baylor wins against TCU in triple overtime. They were number 12. I mean, all these teams that Minnesota's got to jump – and I think they jump a whole bunch of them. So currently at 17, say Minnesota gets to maybe seven. And if they keep winning, they'll be just fine. That's your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, Mississippi Community Education Center and New Learning Resources. New Learning Resources will be participating in the MCEC Thanksgiving Turkey Drive Operation Turkey by donating funds to purchase turkeys for Mississippi veterans. They're asking schools, churches, state agencies, and the community to work with them in donating monetary donations for this cause. MCEC would like to help make Thanksgiving Day a festive occasion for veteran families in need. Your donation will help reach this year's goal of 300 turkeys for veteran families. Asking everyone to participate in the MCEC Thanksgiving Turkey Drive. Again, it's called Operation Turkey, going through next Monday, November 18th. If you would like to send a monetary donation to purchase a turkey for Mississippi veterans, please visit their website, MS as in Mississippi, M-S-C-E-C dot org slash operation dash turkey. Orky, I sent that email to you. Maybe we can tweet that link out because it's certainly hard to remember that. Or you can give them a call as well. Uh, so really cool uh, opportunity to help and to serve there. The men and women who have, uh, have served us uh, through their service in the armed forces. All right, so Georgia beats Missouri 27 to nothing. Any thought on that game, Borky? Uh, not really, other than... What, what is Missouri? I mean, I know Kelly Bryant was hurt, but still. I, 
They go to Wyoming and lose, and then they rattle off a bunch of wins in a row and look better doing it, and then, ugh. Well, they're not much without a healthy Kelly Bryant. And, Rippy, you may feel differently about this, but I feel like I got a terrible read on that team. I walked away thinking, maybe over kind of overanalyzing on, on a couple of points. One, I thought Missouri was a pretty decent football team. And I thought Ole Miss was good enough to have beaten that pretty decent football team on that night. Maybe how Missouri has played since then, though, speaks to the implosion that they've got going on in Columbia, Missouri, and also kind of how far Ole Miss has got because that's a game they could have and maybe should have won. Yeah, I think it was probably pretty telling as bad because Ole Miss isn't a team that's good enough to play badly and remain in games, and they played pretty badly. Like, the offense wasn't great, but, like, that's now we know that's kind of become what they are. But if you'll remember, that was the worst game the Ole Miss defense has probably had all season. I mean, if you take out Alabama, it's hard to – I don't know how much you can indict them for what happened that day in Tuscaloosa. But aside from that, that was probably the worst – I mean, it was definitely the worst rushing defense – defensive game they've played all year. So maybe that should have been an indicator that Ole Miss was kind of sort of halfway in that game in the fourth quarter despite playing really poorly. But, yeah, yeah I, I thought Missouri was much better than they than they ended up being because I even still left that game thinking, okay, Missouri's competent. I'm not sure they were – like, we were setting up for them to have a puncher's chance to win the East with, uh, with Georgia having the early loss and whatever – but like I left that game thinking maybe that was a little ambitious, but they were still competent, and I guess we still overgaged it even in that sense. Yeah, and I mean since then Missouri has lost to Vanderbilt, they've lost to Kentucky, and they get shut out this weekend, twenty-seven to nothing against Georgia. Florida beats Vanderbilt fifty-six to nothing. I asked some people around here in Nashville today. I mean, what what's up? And and kind of the thought has been, I don't really think they're going to do anything with Derek Mason. Um. That would be a little surprising to me. And I know there have been some reports out there that maybe the decision has already been made. But that's not like the overwhelming sentiment here in Nashville. The overwhelming sentiment is still, you know, it's a really tough job. And they went to a bowl game a couple of years, you know, last year or a couple of years ago, whatever the, the time frame was. I think most people feel like he's done a pretty good job. But, man, they're bad right now. And losing 56 to nothing has all the indications of they kind of mailed it in. Yeah, and – it is a tough job and all that stuff, but as you mentioned, I mean, that's a, that's a division, air quotes, rival. I mean, they've looked really non-competitive. The offense is a mess, but I keep going back to this. If Vanderbilt is going to make a change, they, they need to not try to do what everybody else does. They need to go Georgia Tech. It may be boring. It may not even sell tickets, but Vanderbilt's best chance at winning games in the SEC is Ken Niamatololo. Go full triple option. Because you're not getting athletes that can beat Georgia. You're not getting athletes that can beat Florida. But you can get athletes that can run the triple option and be a complete headache for everybody in the SEC. I wonder if Ken Niamatololo would be interested in the job. He's got it pretty good. He does have it pretty good. But, I mean, you can offer him a, a hefty contract and stability, and 
a chance to build his system. That's the only way Vanderbilt's winning. And, like, you're never winning a national championship at Vanderbilt to begin with, and running the triple option is not going to win you a national championship anyway. But you want to go to bowl games? That's how you do it if you're Vanderbilt. You either have James Franklin, who was the best coach in program history, and even his ceiling was eight wins. Nine with a bowl game. Go hire Ken Niamatololo, run the triple option, and win football games. Appalachian State went to Columbia, South Carolina. They beat South Carolina 20-15. to Vanderbilt, or excuse me, Tennessee, 17-13 over Kentucky. And Western Kentucky wins 45-19 over Arkansas. It was the final nail in the coffin for Chad Morris. They officially fired him yesterday. Uh, it is my understanding that Chad Morris knew going into the game that a loss to Western Kentucky would cost him his job, and his football team was non-competitive in that game. With a former Arkansas quarterback. Do what now? With a former Arkansas quarterback, Ty Story is a graduate transfer from Arkansas who led the Hilltoppers at quarterback and won that game. Yeah. Highly recruited from the state of Arkansas, chose to stay at home, uh, then chose to leave after uh, after last season. Barry Lunny Jr., who's the tight ends coach and special teams coordinator, will finish out the season as the interim head coach for the Razorbacks. In two years, Chad Morris goes 4-18, 0-14 in the SEC. Uh, in addition to losing to Western Kentucky this year, the Hogs lost by seven to San Jose State backing all, uh, back on September 21st. They've got an open date this weekend before they finish on the road against LSU and um, then back at home for Missouri in Little Rock. Two and eight on the year, 17 straight SEC losses dating to the end of the 2017 season. Six-year, $21 million contract. That's what Chad Morris was coaching under. The Razorbacks will owe him 70% of his remaining compensation, which totals about $10 million. Arkansas will make monthly payments to Morris through 2023. And here's the wrinkle in this. The Razorbacks owed Brett Bielema almost $12 million when they fired him. The Arkansas Democrat Gazette reported last month that the Razorback Foundation has stopped making monthly payments of $320,000 and change to Bielema and has asked him to return $4.2 million of the money that is already paid him. That is also headed to court. They've got a mess. Is it fixable? Sure it is, if they make... Like the first indication and the odds-on favorite in Vegas to win the job would be Mike Norvell. Okay. You you can hire a... But it's complicated because I don't think Arkansas is in a position to compete nationally with any regularity anyway. So it depends on what your expectations are. If you think somebody's going to step in and turn them around and make them a 10-win program in three years, I don't see that at all. But there are good football coaches out there that, like I saw Andy Staples suggest that coaches won't want the Arkansas job because you're in the same division as Alabama and LSU. And Do you really want a football coach that won't take a job because he's got to play good teams? No. But the other part of that is... 
It's not hard to hire a football coach when you're willing to pay him $4 million. I mean, you can go get a coach. Now, the thing is, you got to get the right coach because at some point the money, I mean, the escalating coaching salaries and these ridiculous buyouts where you're stacking one on top of the other on top of the other, at some point that's got to stop. But there's not really an indication that that's going to stop because not only do we have money flowing like water right now, you're a couple of years away from even more money coming in when the SEC redoes the deal with CBS or ultimately goes to somebody besides CBS. There's no reason it's going to change. Although some administrators should kind of I mean, you, you, you can't, like, artificially stop the market. But somebody with some sense ought to say, no, we're, we're not paying $6 million for 6 and 6. Let's pay a reasonable, high, fair wage and then reward you for success. Don't get rewarded for failure. I don't know if Jimmy Sexton will go along with that idea. Orky and Rippy will carry you the rest of the way. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. I see Lane Kiffin's name with Arkansas. It's getting thrown around in Florida State. Every every time there's a coaching search, Lane Kiffin's name pops up. Why? Because he's like it's the next step in like what all the Saban comeback stories go through, right? I mean, it's the it's you know fall flat on your face, come be an intern for him. What he moves up to offense? Wasn't he wasn't he like an analyst before he was an offensive coordinator? Like most of them are. Is that right? Do I have that right? Uh, I thought he went straight to OC. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe I have that wrong. But anyway, it just seems like the next logical step. I don't know what FAU's record is this year, but it, he doesn't seem to be generating the same buzz that he did last year or maybe a year before that. But I don't know. I mean, he's had big time jobs. His career trajectory is the strange, one of the strangest ones I've ever seen. But it's in reverse. Yeah, but yeah, that pretty much is exactly what it is. He's had big time jobs. He's, you know, been under Nick Saban since then and kind of rehabilitated himself and maybe his image a little bit. I don't really know. Maybe he knows how to run a big time program. I don't understand why you would take a guy like that over like a Bill Clark or Billy Napier at ULL, like guys who are building programs at places where you don't always win. Yeah, like it's a different beast in the SEC, but that would seem like a more, that would have a higher hit rate than a Lane Kiffin. And presumably you wouldn't have to worry about as much stuff off of the field as you might have in the past with Kiffin, like you know, Joe Freshwater. <laughs> so I, I don't I necessarily don't see it get working it either. there. Hey, maybe I'm wrong, but if it doesn't work in Southern Cal, if if he's at he's at Florida Atlantic for a reason, and not because he's a young up and comer that nobody's ever heard of, like Elijah Drinkwitz would be a name that that people are probably saying, "Come again." He's the head coach at Appalachian State. Like, if you're going to go small college, that's the small college coach you get. Not the one that's washed out in the NFL, that's washed out in big-time college football. You go get a guy like that. Yeah, and to be completely fair with the Lane Kivett FAU thing, you could make an argument that Houston probably should have hired him instead we went with Major Applewhite, and that didn't really work out very well. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, who knows, though? Like, how hard is it actually to win at FAU? Like, it may be incredibly difficult. It's hard to gauge those jobs. So maybe he would do a good job. Maybe he's ready for it again. But that, would to me, would be higher risk. And I'm not even sure that much like, how much higher reward 
than like you're talking about a Drinkowitz or Billy Napier or someone like that. So I don't really get how people select coaches. The search firm thing is weird to me. I don't understand why you need to pay a search firm to go hire a football coach. There's a lot I don't understand about it, but I guess that's why I'm not an administrator. And so to bring all this back to Mississippi, you've got coaching turnover in Fayetteville again. Uh, you're about to have it in Nashville. It will be coming soon in Columbia, Missouri. It won't be after this year, but people are unhappy up there with Barry Odom. It's just, I mean, they joined the SEC and win the East twice, and now they're laying eggs after a pretty decent start, even though they lost to Wyoming to literally start the season. But you've got all this coaching turnover and this unrest and these hot seats. You've got one in Columbia. Texas A&M is not working out immediately the way they expected it to. And at least to me, with the two new hires at Ole Miss and Mississippi State, it's what makes it so more disappointing. It magnifies the lack of wins on the field for both Matt Luke and Joe Moorhead to me because it's not like they've been up against a difficult SEC. The SEC right now is a collection of really bad football teams and two good ones in the East and two better ones in the West. Otherwise... It's all a bunch of garbage, and we have not been able to take advantage here in the state. And that's what's so disappointing about the, the 10 years, if you want to call it that, even though they've been short for Matt Luke and Joe Moorhead, because it's a great opportunity to take advantage of unrest and bad football and coaching turnover, opportunities to elevate your programs, and they did not take advantage and now Arkansas is potentially going to upgrade at head coach. Vanderbilt's going to do it. And here you sit still in the cellar when there was an opportunity for you to bring yourselves out of it, and they couldn't do it. Yeah, I uh, I definitely agree with that. I mean, that there's been an opportunity, like you said, outside of Alabama LSU. But again, for the most part, I mean... Like, there's just only a few guaranteed wins on the schedule, and Arkansas, I don't think, will stay one for forever. And and that's the problem. Now that's gone. I mean, that's gone. Yeah, maybe not immediately, but you would think it wouldn't be that way for a long period of time. Like, because, I mean, whoever comes in there, like Richard said, it is kind of a mess, both on the field and it seems like off the field as well. Like, it's going to take time, but like, eventually they're going to stumble into someone competent. Yep. And then you would assume that Texas A&M will just continue to get better. And, I mean, if you're – I haven't seen Gus Malzahn's name pop up on any of these Arkansas hot lists. Maybe I'm not looking in the right place, but when Auburn loses to Georgia and Alabama to close the season out, if you're Gus, wouldn't you want to reset? Because even, well, even he- if they don't fire him after this year, his seat is burning hot when he can go to Fayetteville and get six years guaranteed. And they'd be happy, thrilled with eight and four. Yeah, he would be more appreciated there. But I mean, this kind of you kind of saw what happened in seventeen. He basically used that to get leverage for the extension they want to buy him out of at Auburn now. If I remember that correctly, it's who they need to. It's who they need to call. I think. I would agree. He was probably getting that extension anyway because they beat Georgia and Alabama in the year and all that stuff. Yeah, they won ten games that year. Yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think that would definitely be worth a phone call. But, I don't I mean, they ended up hiring Chad Morris last time. Do you have 
faith in people, the same people to trust or trust the same people to make a competent hire there? No, not at all. Text from the 662. Comparing Ole Miss and State is not right. Ole Miss has been on probation. State is not. The NCAA. Okay. Let me try to word this correctly. The NCAA decimated Ole Miss's program. Yes, they still are on probation. The year 2019 was always going to be the year where chickens came home to roost, so to speak. Uh, if a very young football team, more so at the skill positions than across the board, their defense is pretty veteran-laden in Ole Miss's offensive line, even though it's a bunch of new faces or guys that have been in the program for a while, this was still going to be the year that was most difficult. So from that perspective, I get it. The problem is they have a bunch of games this year that they should have won, and they didn't. Opportunities to get to a bowl game in what was supposed to be the worst year, and they failed to do so. At Memphis, at Missouri, Cal, Texas A&M, Auburn to a point. That's a really good Auburn football team, though. Multiple opportunities, football games that they were in, if the strings were pulled correctly, they would have won the games and they failed to do so. That's where the missed opportunity is. This was always going to be a difficult year. But when you look at the schedule in hindsight, not very good football teams, opportunities to win, failure to capitalize on them. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss will look back at the month. We've said this all year, and we said this at the beginning of the year. Ole Miss will end up looking back at the beginning of the year if they do get to 5-7, and seven, if they were to beat State and they finish one game away. Or It keeps sounding more and more like they're going to have an opportunity for a bowl game if they beat State and get to 5-7. and seven. But whatever, to, to get the six-win threshold, they're going to kind of look back and wonder what could have been if they had been just somewhat competent offensively against Memphis and hadn't had that really bad quarter against Cal, and then I guess if you go later in the year, they had every opportunity to beat Texas A&M and just were not able to do it. They had a touchdown lead in the bo- and the ball driving when a fumble return for a touchdown changed the complexion of that game. Yeah, and that's just a freshman in Plumlee making a freshman mistake and trying to do too much. It was just mm-hmm. aside from the fumble, yes, that did change the game, but they still had plenty of opportunities after that to take before and after to take control of that game and just weren't able to do it. Yeah, and then on the flip side for Mississippi State, I mean. Opportunity last year with the nation's number one defense. He lost five games, and then we all know what is going on this year. Just missed opportunities to take advantage of a down SEC. And this coaching turnover, even though in in the immediate short term it's a good thing because inconsistency at the leadership spots um, is never good for a football program. But if they make decent hires, the down SEC won't be so down for very long. And I mean that, that's the entire point. Circling back is that our schools here failed to capitalize on what was a, a weak SEC at the middle and at the bottom.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.